You guys happy to be free this morning? Let's praise God for that. You guys can have a seat, and we do celebrate freedom today. We celebrate and honor um, this Memorial Day those who fought for freedom and who actually lost their lives for freedom. And we serve a God who, who can empathize with that because he sacrificed a lot to find our freedom. Thank you, Seth. You know, I, uh, I wanted to start out with a story about a man, uh, a father who loved his son so, so much. He loved his son, and he always talked with the son about how that one day he was going to buy him a, a nice car, a truck, and they were going to deck it out, and they were going to go on all kinds of adventures together in this truck. They were going to soup it out. They were going to put springs on it, the nicest tires. They were going to go out and do incredible things. And this son began to think about and dream about this, almost obsessed about this adventure to come whenever he turned 16. So that when he was 15, he was like, oh my gosh, we are a year away of me getting this epic truck for my father and I to go out and do these incredible adventures with. And so, man, when the day came for his birthday, he invited all of his friends. He wanted all of his people to be there to celebrate with him as he walked out into his backyard and this incredible truck was in his backyard so he could show it off to all of his friends. So, man, he's opening, he's anticipating this, he's opening all his gifts, he's, he's getting excited, and then he opens the, 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 this last box that was sitting on the table for him, and he opens it up, and he pulls this out. And his dad's like, you're welcome. See the springs and the tires, man, you're going to go on so many adventures, this is going to be so cool. And he's like, <laughs> funny one, Dad, that's good. I like it. Now, can I go in the backyard now and see my truck out there? Can I do that? And he's like, well, there's no truck in the backyard. Like, that's it. This is the truck. He's like, yeah, I could put some G.I. Joes in this, and we could do some adventures with them. But me and you, we're supposed to go out and live this incredible life with all this adventure. Where's the truck? This is getting old, Dad. Like, let's, let's do this. And his dad was like, no, that's... That's the gift. And so, man, this son in disbelief because his, his, his dad had the means to do this. I mean, he could afford a truck like this. He always talked about it. And this seemed like a really cruel joke. But weeks went by and no truck. I mean, he thought any moment he would walk home from school and he would look out and there it would be in the parking lot. But night after night, week after week, there was nothing. And so he would literally lay in bed at night and he put this right by his nightstand and he would look at it and he would start resenting his father and he would start getting mad and these selfish things would come over and he's like, I cannot believe this. And then <clears throat> he was looking at it one night intently, almost like as if he was imagining it growing before his eyes. And he looks in and he sees a piece of paper and he grabs it and he opens it up and it's a check. And it says, pay to the order, and it says his name had the date of his birthday. In the memo line, it said, for your dream truck. And the amount, it was blank. See, his dad had given him a blank check to go buy the truck of his dreams. It was right there written. There was no rules or stipulation on how much money he could spend. His dad had put the gift on the inside 
for him to be able to go buy what he wanted and live the greatest adventure that, that he could possibly think of. All he needed was an imagination to come up with the amount. We're doing this series called Get Lit about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a lot like this father in the truck. You see, the disciples walked with Jesus and they did all of these things. And Jesus talked about this adventure that was to come. He talked about this gift that was going to happen, that they were going to get and receive this thing. And and they they were going to go establish the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And then he left. (laughs) The disciples were like, no, wait a minute. Like, you're talking about leaving now? Like, you're not going to leave the gift? You're not going to leave? I thought, what about the adventures that we were going to go on? But Jesus, just like this father, he gives them this gift, and the gift is actually on the inside. You see, the Holy Spirit is the gift. It's like a blank check on the inside of us, and God is saying, I want you to go and live that adventure, but I'm not going to put these parameters on what your adventure looks like. I'm going to give you a blank check, and the only limitations you have is your imagination of how much of an adventure you will live with Jesus. Because the power, the gift, the blank check is sitting inside of you. At Grace Point, we want to be a people where we take the blank checks and we don't, first of all, don't realize it's there. And we don't want to be a people that write small amounts to live an adventure that's small. We want to write big impact checks to Jesus and say, I am willing to go on whatever adventure that you want from me. I'm ready to join in. I'm, gonna, I'm ready to receive this gift that you put on the inside of me. And I want to do an incredible thing for your kingdom, bringing the God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? How do we write a big check for the kingdom of God? The fruits of the spirit are this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Mike challenged us to memorize this. Let's say it together out loud. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is the blank check that God has written to us. The power, the bigness of our God rests inside of us. And he's saying, he's almost challenging us. Okay, I'm giving you this gift. Now I want you to go and make a big impact for my kingdom. We do that by allowing the spirit that rests inside of all of us to awaken the things inside of us, the the things that we are called to as believers and go live these fruits of the spirit out in our world in big and mighty ways. Today, we're talking about kindness and goodness specifically. Kindness and goodness. And now we can either go on our lives and live an ordinary life have an ordinary God that we represent, or we can live an extraordinary life and have an extraordinary God that is giving us power. And kindness and goodness are no different. We can be an ordinary, just good person and probably feel pretty good about ourselves and go live good things. Or we can do extraordinary, have extraordinary goodness out in our world. Same thing for kindness. We could do ordinary things, in our kindness, or we could do extraordinary things with our kindness. Ordinary would be this. It would be random acts of kindness. You know, we feel pretty good about that when we stuff a letter, a encouraging note on someone's car and it's anonymous, or we go and maybe mow someone's lawns, or we go and do something nice, maybe leave a meal on a doorstep after they've gone through something. Those are all really kind things to do. 
I'm not trying to belittle those things. I want you to do those things. We need to be doing those things. But an extraordinary kindness is this. It's intentional acts of kindness at random times. Intentional acts of kindness are saying, I have a purpose behind my kindness and this big act of kindness that I'm doing to you because it's pointing to a God who is really, really kind to us. My intentionality is not to make myself look good or to feel good or kind about myself, like I'm a kind person. No, the, the purpose of doing an extraordinary act of kindness is to point to a great God who was extremely kind to us when we did not deserve it. If you want representations of what an extraordinary kindness and goodness looks like, first of all, you need to only look at Jesus. Jesus, over and over and over again, was showing this world what it means to be good and to be kind. He often stopped and he ate with sinners. He stopped and talked to people that that were marginalized, that people didn't want to even touch. He got people to, to, that were paralyzed to walk again. He did all of these things that were good and kind in our world. And he did it often, even whenever he had something else to do. It wasn't a random act of kindness. It was intentional acts of kindness as he walked along the road to people. If you want a second example of this, maybe that you're like, okay, cool. Let's just all be Jesus. Really good plan, Wade. Um, that's what we should do. But if you want like kind of an earthly example of this, go to Bob Goff, Okay. If you've ever heard of Bob Goff or read his books, I highly recommend it. You will be entertained. They're awesome. Um, if you ever hear Bob Goff speak, about 40% of his messages are him laughing, okay? So just like you pay for what you get. Um, but he is an incredible dude, and he wrote this book called Everybody Always about how we are called to become love in a world full of setbacks and difficult people. Anybody know any difficult people? Yeah, just about everybody. We all know difficult people. The world is full of difficult people. I encounter difficult people on the road every time I drive. Because Texans are obviously the superior drivers in the world, okay? Yeah. No, that's not true, but we do encounter difficult people. We, we all, all the time, our, our lives are filled with, man, why isn't Wade talking about patience this week? Because we need a lot of the Holy Spirit and help with patience. But we are saying that we want to be a person. And Bob Goff says, you, you want to know when, you sh- when you're called to love people? Always. You know who you're called to, to love? Everybody. Let's put that together. Everybody always is who you're supposed to love. The, the equation is simple. And over and over and over again, Bob tells stories about how he encounters people in the world. It could be TSA agents. It could be drivers and Uber drivers and taxi drivers. It is school teachers. It is people, widows that move into his neighborhood. And over and over and over again, Bob shares these incredible stories of how he is being kind and good to the people around him, whoever God brings in his path. He actually has this thing. He says, you, don't wanna, you wanna know where you start showing the love of God? If you don't know where to start, start with the people who creep you out, okay? Like think about who gives me the eebie-jeebies, who creeps me out, who's kind of weird, go to them and start loving them first. Everybody else will seem kind of easy to love after that. So just go to the people that creep you out. And he actually talks about how he loves witch doctors, He's the Ugandan consulate, randomly. I don't know how he does that, but he's a lawyer. He's the Ugandan consulate. He goes and he tries witch doctors. He's a lawyer. He goes and tries witch doctors to make them pay for their heinous acts against children. How they take them and rape them and do all of these things to to these children. 
And they do it by paying the parents like cents on the dollar for their kids. And he says, you know what God started doing to transform my love? He made me love the witch doctor who, was, who felt like my enemy, who was doing the most obscene things that I could ever think about. And I started with loving them. And God had this transformation love and people started to come to know Jesus by the way that I love them. You know what Bob Goff does? He carries a briefcase around with him and you think because he's a lawyer, it's like papers and stuff like that. No, it's just filled with a bunch of medals, like medals and trophies that he literally will give to people. If he feels like they need kindness or goodness and someone to speak kind things over them, he literally grabs a medal from his briefcase and pins it on them or puts it over their head. And he says, hey, you are loved. You are kind. You are good. You are courageous. You are so brave. He looks them right in the eye and speaks these incredible things over them, just showing the kindness and goodness of God. And you think, oh, like this little metal, like he's like, I know it's corny. But when I see those people walk away and they're like, look at this metal. Yeah, like it's like a cheap dollar metal or a 50 cent metal. And it doesn't matter because the metal is actually what he's saying to them. He's looking them in the eyes and reminding them of who they are in Christ. You know, I think that if we think about it, you know, the Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit's like Jesus' medal to us. He puts it on us and in us, and he says, you are good. You are loved. You are a child of God. You are an ambassador. You are a witness. You are powerful and bold. These are the things that you are. And here's my medal to you. Here's the gift to you to remind you every single day that I loved you so much that I actually died for you so that I could live within you and live by you and next to you all the time. The Holy Spirit is the gift. It's like Jesus coming up to us and like Abilene Clark's character in The Help saying, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important, okay? It's what God is doing to us. He's reminding us of who we are in Christ. But often, we don't do that to others. We see over and over and over again in Scripture how God is kind to us and forgiving to us and shows grace to us, but we forget that we're called to do that to others. God has given us the fruits of the Spirit not to hold them in, but to actually go to the world and give people medals and love them well. Bob Goff says this, he says, Love cares more about who's hurting than who's watching. See, often we, we think about, okay, I'm going to show kindness and goodness, and maybe it's a random act of kindness, or I'm going to do this, or, man, I'm too scared to show this person kindness. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I should do that. Or we wait on a plan. We, we think, okay, if I go, when I go on my next global adventure, or whenever I go and do that service project, or this is when it's going to happen, we put all of these whys and whos and whats and hows and all of those things around our love and our kindness and our goodness. Bob reminds us to quit waiting for a plan. Just go love everybody, always. That's where what, what we're called to do as believers. God has given us this incredible opportunity to show these extraordinary acts of kindness and goodness in our world. And he wants us to do it so that the, the people in our world can be pointed to a God who loves them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. There's a story in scripture that represents this well. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. This will be a familiar story to you. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. 
But it gives us a framework not only to, to see an example of an extraordinary kindness and goodness, but it also gives us a framework of almost an antagonist to this. This, this antagonist is this expert in the law, this religious leader who was trying to put boundaries on God's love. And he asked Jesus a question, as most of them always did. They got him in a room and, and they said, hey, Jesus, what, what do you think, these ex- experts of the law, what do you think, uh, you know, how do I get into heaven? How do I inherit the kingdom of God? How do I get to live a long life? And they asked Jesus this, and Jesus says, well, <laughs> I mean, you're asking me, like, you guys are the experts of the law. If you guys are experts, then you tell me, what does it take to get into the, the, to heaven, to have eternal life? So this expert of the law plays his game, and he says, well, it's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and also loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That's how you get in there. And Jesus is like, man, great job. It's almost like you're an expert in the law. Congratulations. Go do that and you will live. And so the expert law in the law is trying to figure out, okay, I know that we're called to, like, I get the loving God part. Like I have literally devoted my life to knowing what it means to love God, to obey his law, to memorize his law, to live those out. And, and I know what that means, but loving your neighbor, just exactly who is my neighbor? You see, this expert in the law was trying to justify himself and say, what are the boundaries? Like, how far do I have to go? Are we talking about just the people that's around me right now? Are we talking about where I live, like the people, the four houses around me, because um, I want to move to the country and so I don't have to love anybody? Like, what, like where, where does this love, ha- where does it take me? And so Jesus, as he often did, he didn't answer the guy directly. He told a story. And Jesus said this, he said, There was a man who was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, as soon as Jesus said that, the the people in the room would have known that trek. They would have known that Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles, and it's descending about 3,000 feet. That there are roads that have kind of been curved and, and, and formed in the sides of the mountains with cliffs on the side to get down to Jericho. They would have also known how dangerous those roads are. That there were robbers that would get in the caves and wait on people that were easy prey, and they would pounce on them, they would steal their possessions, they would beat them, sometimes kill them, and leave them to dead, throw them over the cliff, do whatever they needed to do. But Jesus goes on, he tells a story about that, about just that, that someone, this guy was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, somewhere along the way, robbers came after him, They beat him, they stripped him of his clothes, they took everything that he had, and then they left him for dead. But good news, a priest was coming down that same road. And a priest came and and he saw the man that was sitting there, naked, bruised, beaten, half dead. And so what did he do? He went to the other side and passed by on the other side, not going to the man. And then a Levite came up. And and whenever he said Levite, these guys would have known, well, Levites, of course, he will. If the priest, maybe he had something in his eye, maybe he didn't see him. But the Levite is like the, I mean, they're like the second most religious people in all of the land from the tribe of Levi. Surely they'll. But same thing happens. This Levite saw him. He passed across to the other side and went down safely to Jericho. 
But then a Samaritan. Oh, man, whenever Jesus said these words, these guys would have been like, oh, gosh, Samaritan. Even the even just the spoken word of Samaritan would immediately made them have like kind of vomit in their mouth because they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were like the half-breeds. They were the lowest of all people. They were the marginalized. They, they, didn't, they, they couldn't run in a circle like this that Jesus was talking in. No, Samaritans were dirty and nasty. But the Samaritans saw this man. He had compassion on him. He went to him. He used his own oil and wine to, to clean his wounds, to bandage him up, to care for him. He lifted him up and put him on his own horse. And he walked down all the way to Jericho with this man, put him up in an inn, took care of him some more, and then gave the innkeeper more money and said, hey, I am giving you this. It was enough money for about 24 days in this inn. I got some stuff to do. I'm going to come back whatever it costs to take care of this guy. The stranger, do it and I'll pay you back. So Jesus turns to the experts in the law. He said, which one of these guys was the neighbor? Which one of these guys were were the neighbor to this, this man? And because of the disdain that they couldn't even say Samaritan out loud, he says, the one who had mercy on him. Not the Samaritan guy, but the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus looks at these experts in the law and he says, go and do likewise. You see, Jesus told the story about an extraordinary kindness and goodness through this Samaritan person that took care of this guy. And today we're going to talk about what extraordinary kindness and goodness requires of us based on this story. The first thing is concentration. We need to concentrate on what God is doing in our lives. We need to see with God's eyes and hear with God's ears and experience and feel with God's heart. We have to concentrate hard on the things of God because guess what? We are busy people. And if it were up to us, I know me, I'm self-centered, self-absorbed. All the things that Brett talked about last week, those, those identified as me. I'm the chief of sinners, as Paul said. Man, I can get so consumed in one tract on what I'm doing where I miss opportunities where God is speaking. You see, God is moving all of the time, but are we watching? Are we looking? Are we seeing? Are we hearing the opportunities where God is already moving? We have to concentrate on the things of God. Blackaby and Experiencing God says this, that God speaks by the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about here today. He speaks by the Holy Spirit through Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. You see why Blackaby does this? He gives this extensive list, the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church, all of these things, because he kind of wants us to see that there's no excuse for not hearing God. (laughs) God's speaking through all of these things. He is speaking when you open up the word of God or you listen to it on a podcast. He's speaking through prayer. If you're even doing those breath prayers to God, he is speaking through the church up here on Sunday morning. When someone's speaking at you or in your small groups, he's speaking through your circumstances. Wherever you are, God is speaking. But are we listening? I've been reading A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God again, and I'm, I love this, this book. It was my favorite book in seminary. And I like it because A.W. Tozer wasn't like this scholarly dude. He was just a normal guy who, like, 
in the midst of all of these people that were awesome authors and speakers and writers. He was just a normal guy who wanted to show normal people that they can pursue God. And he has this quote in The Pursuit of God says this, let any man turn to God in earnest. Let him begin to exercise himself unto godliness. Let him seek to develop his powers of, listen to this, spiritual receptivity by trust and obedience and humility and the results will exceed anything that he have hoped in his leaner and weaker days. Develop the powers of spiritual receptivity to learn how to concentrate and listen to what God is doing and how he's speaking. To develop our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see what God is doing. This needs to be our prayer if we want to show an extraordinary kindness and goodness to our world, we have to start with the, with the spiritual receptivity, concentration. Let our prayer be, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. But it can't just stop with seeing things or hearing things. The second thing that we need is compassion. Compassion to respond. You see, this man, this Samaritan, and the Levi and the priests, their stories were the exact same up until the moment where compassion was shown. They all saw this man that needed help. They all saw him, but only one choose to have compassion and to act. You see, compassion always is love with skin on it. It's love with skin on it. We, we can have love and not act. It's not true love. Just kind of like, oh, look at that. No, God calls us to, to show compassion, and that's love with skin on it. Compassion always leads to action. It always leads to action. The, the word compassion that is used here in Luke 10, it means a kind of love and pity and compassion and kindness that moves to one's bowels. Yes, I said bowels in church. We're talking about bowels. You see, when you... When you experience something in your bowels, you have to act. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like some of us have to act sooner than others. Okay? We, we have to act. Like, we, we experience something in our bowels. It's not something, like, it's scientifically proven for you that it's unhealthy to not act on things that you feel in your bowels. You know what I'm saying? That's called constipation. It's a real thing. You have to act like you, you can't hold that stuff in because next thing you know, you're going to be bloated. You're going to be walking around like this. You know, you have to act on things that you experience in your bowels. That's what Jesus is saying here. No, he had compassion on him. He felt something in his bowels and he was like, okay, like I can't, like I got to go. I got to go to this guy. I, I'm afraid to think about the priest and the Levite that was walking down the mountain like this because they didn't have compassion. You know, that's a rough 17 mile journey down 3000 feet. You see, if we, don't, if we don't act with compassion with our world, with kindness and goodness, these things that well up inside of us for the, from the fruit of the Spirit that ask us and compel us to act with our love to our world, then we are a bunch of constipated Christians holding in our kindness and our goodness. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want to be a bunch of constipated Christians that are just holding everything in. No, the fruits of the Spirit are supposed to come out. God doesn't give this overwhelming power inside of us so that we can hold it in. He wants us to act. 
He wants us to respond. This man did, the Samaritan did, and it cost him. It cost him, man. He had to go, to, he, it led to action for him coming to aid of a stranger. That's awkward. It put him in a dangerous situation. Man, this guy very well could have been a robber himself staging this thing so the guy would come up to him and other robbers could attack him. He didn't know. It caused him to have action into getting dirty, taking care of his wounds. He had to get on his hands and knees and get dirty with his guy who desperately needed the kindness and goodness of God. He had to use his own resources, his own oil, wine, money, time, all of these things. And then his compassion was so deep and so deep into his bowels that he actually had to respond later. And he said, I'm coming back. Anything that this guy needs, see, it costs you a lot to show compassion to our world. And so often, man, we are, we are point A to point B and we miss opportunities where God's speaking and we don't act. And we become a bunch of constipated Christians with all of this fruit inside of us that God is just begging for us to, to, to release. Ordinary versus extraordinary wraps it up in this. Gality, Rabbi Gality in Bearing Fruit says this, that kindness goes hand-in-hand with long-suffering. It's the idea of being mild and meek in our disposition towards other people. It's extending humble respect to others, regardless of their ethnicity, their color, creed, or economic status. The key ingredient to kindness is humility. Not to think of yourself as superior to those around you. Jesus was the ultimate model of kindness. Isn't that true? Jesus never thought about where someone came from or who he was. There's a reason that Jesus used the Samaritan as, an ex- as his example. Because in a lot of ways, Jesus felt like the Samaritan. He was this God who came to the earth and was not treated as an expert or religious person or a prophet. He was marginalized. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He was spit on, abused, all of these things. And so Jesus is using this story of humility of the Samaritan, despite his status, the Samaritan acting and responding with love. Galilee goes on to to define goodness as this. He says the word goodness only appears four times in the entire New Testament with Paul being the author of each of them. We extend goodness to someone by going the extra mile for them. If kindness is the attitude which we should treat others, goodness is the method. We should be kind in our relationship with those around us, and we should treat them well, even when they don't deserve it. Going the extra mile. Man, did the Samaritan show an extra mile kind of love? An extra mile kind of goodness and kindness? He went way beyond, probably if we were honest, anything that we would have done. And it cost him a lot. And he had to be brave. And so the third thing that we need and that it requires of us is courage. Courage. This man put himself in danger. He put himself at risk. He had to have the courage to step outside of cultural norms. And that's one thing that this religious expert couldn't wrap his brain around. <laughs> like, I know, God, that you're calling me to love my neighbors. My, I love myself. But there's got to be limitations to that. Like you wouldn't call me to go outside of my comfort zone or outside of the village or to reach the the marginalized. That's not my neighbor, really. I don't even consider a Samaritan a neighbor or a person. Are you calling me to love them? 
This, this story of this good Samaritan is wrapped up in that question, who is my neighbor? And then him trying to justify himself. And even when Jesus explains this story, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan is the good neighbor. No, it's the one who had mercy on him. You see, sometimes when God calls you to show an extraordinary kindness and goodness to our world, it's going gone, it's gone to take courage. He might call you to, to, to show kindness to someone who is way outside of your comfort zone. The people that creep you out. They could have a different race than you or an ethnicity than you. They could come from a different part of town or a different part of the world. They could have a different sexual orientation as you or socioeconomic status as you. God calls us to love the people that need his love the most and show an extraordinary kindness and goodness to our world. And we have to take courage. We have to have courage to not care about who's watching, but who's hurting and say, I'm going to go to them first. You see, Mike has this life principle about sin and it says sin takes us further than we want to go and keeps us longer than you want to stay. I'm here to tell you that extraordinary kindness and goodness is the exact same. When you do a God-sized kindness to our world, it might take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Just that's the Samaritan. We're all going from point A to point B. He understood what it was to be busy. He had a place to go, but God's kindness showed up. It spoke to him. It caused compassion to come over him. So he had to take courage and say, I'm willing to go. Yes, God, I'm going. When you go out of your way to help someone, you reveal a God who stepped off of his throne to die for everyone. How will they know that you're my disciples? By the way that you love one another. Man, we have this extraordinary kindness and goodness that resides in us. Let us take courage and not care about who's watching, not care about how far we fall short, not care about any of those things, but just trust God and the power that rests inside of us. We say this thing at Grace Point called Live Sent GPC. This is not just a cue for you to be able to leave and go to lunch. It's more than that. It actually means showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people where you live, work, learn, and play. That's our anthem. That's the essence of who Grace Point is. We want to live like this Samaritan. We want to live an extraordinary kindness and goodness to our world. What does this sound like? Everyday conversations with everyday people. That sounds like an intentional kindness at random times, wherever God tells you, hey, go live sent. I need to be aware of what God might be calling me to, where I live, work, learn, and play. We can't look at everybody around us or what the, what the boundaries might be for our love. God wants us to have an extraordinary kindness and goodness and be brave enough to show that to the world. You know, Jesus had 132 encounters with people in Scripture. Only 10 of them were people in the church. <laughs> Jesus was out there. I mean, he, he was brave. He was courageous. He was going to the people and not going to these holy huddles and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my love so that you can go out. No, Jesus was a rebel and without a cause, well, with a cause, but without a cause. He was going and he was showing these extraordinary things to people, 132 people and only 10 of them. We are the light of the world. We can't be like this person to say, hey, who is my neighbor? We got to be like Bob Goff. We've got to be like Jesus, love everybody always, show kindness and goodness to everybody always. Let's live sent, showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people where we live, work, learn, and play.
The last thing that we need is community. Man, we can't do this alone. No matter how good or kind I am or you are, I know that I'm not good and kind sometimes, we have limitations. We could be the most wholesome, kind person. People might, even when we walk away, go like, man, that's just a good person. They are really kind. It's not, that's an ordinary kindness. To live an extraordinary kindness and goodness to our world, we need community with the Holy Spirit because that's where our power comes from. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the gift, the blank check, the power that's rest inside of us, and he's dying to get out. He's screaming, can I get out into our world? Can I get out there and be the fruit of the Spirit and exude all of these things into our world? Our world needs all of these, especially needs kindness and goodness. Wouldn't you agree? We need it in our world right now. We need to be people who are carriers of that. Andrew read this earlier about the help. And I can imagine that, that the, the disciples were kind of like the, the son in this story. They were like hearing God, Jesus, talk about all these adventures they were going to go on. They were, gonna, they were hearing Jesus talk about these things. And, and then he's like, okay, well, I'm out. Peace. Good luck. <laughs> no, he didn't say just good luck. He said, no, you're going to receive power and authority that I had, and I'm giving it to you when the Holy Spirit rests inside of you. You have to learn to develop a kindness and a goodness that, is, that flows out of the Holy Spirit. So we need community with the Holy Spirit. Number two, we need community with fellow believers. In Luke chapter 10, before this story, Jesus talks about how he sent out these disciples two by two. And they went out and they looked for houses of peace to share the gospel with. They went into villages. They went intentionally two by two in community and said, I'm going to go proclaim the gospel. Now, we just had a, a, a team in the Himalayas. These five people were in the Himalayas this past week. And they went out two by two. I know there's only five of them, but they had someone with them. Okay, I can count. They went out two by two. You know what they did in seven days? They shared the gospel over 137 times, 137 times. These five people went out, shared the gospel, talked to the people, and they did it in community. Man, if, they was, if it was just one individual going out and sharing that much, they'd be scared. They'd probably talk themselves out of it. You've been there. I've been there. Like, oh, I know I'm supposed to show kindness to this person, but I don't know. But when you have somebody with you, and they're praying for you, and they're praying over you, and they're giving you confidence, There's a, it's a different ball game. Am I right? Like, we need community to go and live sent. Our communitas groups, the reason we call them communitas, it's a Latin word for a community on mission. See, at Grace Point, we don't want our community, our small groups, to be these little holy huddles, like a country club, where you come and you get all these access. No, we want our groups to, to let what they do in there fill the streets out there, to be a community on mission, to encourage one another, to promote transformative community with one another so they can live out a bold kindness and goodness out into our world. That's what we want to be about. We embody live sent in our communitas groups. Hebrews 10 tells us to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Continue to encourage one another. We need the Holy Spirit. We need fellow believers. We need community to show this kind of goodness. Man, the, the early church, 
the early church had this, this way about them that they were actually going and doing these things. They were showing kindness and goodness to their world. They were feeding the hungry. They were ministering to the poor. They were taking care of the widows and the orphans. They were doing all these things so much that in Rome, when they started killing off the Christians, they actually felt a rise in the homeless and hungry and marginalized population. These people that the Christians were feeding and loving and showing kindness to actually started coming to city hall and saying, hey, wait a minute. What about us? You're killing these Christians that were taking care of us. When the Christians were being excommunicated and, and, and executed and all of these different things, they left a God-sized hole in their community. I got to ask you, if Grace Point were to disappear, was gone tomorrow, would we leave a God-sized hole in our community? Are we displaying extraordinary kindness and goodness in our world so that, they were, that our, our absence would be felt? Is our presence felt so much in our community that our absence would be experienced? I think we're well on our way. We have this ministry called Mosaic. And right now, um, that this ministry that reaches adoptive and foster kids, um, we're doing that and we have open homes. We have people in this room right now that are foster families that are loving our adoptive and foster community. We're coming alongside them. Groups are making it, community house groups are making it their mission to love and serve these people. And the proof is in the numbers. Right now, as of May, there are more open homes in Benton County than there are kids in the foster care system. Yeah, isn't that incredible? And don't, don't hear me say I'm trying to give credit to Grace Point only, but I know that there are people, there are warriors, there are people in our church right now that are doing intentional acts of kindness to these people, these kids that are in foster care. And it's seeing. I think that people would experience our kindness and goodness more, but can we make it even more of an impact? Can we show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people? Can we be a people that allow the fruits of the Spirit to flow out of us in God-sized way, extraordinary ways? We had this challenge last year at Strategy Meeting that we would see 508 people come to know the Lord. 508 people go from darkness to light. Next week, we're celebrating at Strategy Meeting. We're celebrating the 56 people that have come from darkness to light. That is incredible that people have given their lives to Jesus, but we have a long way to go. Would we awaken ourselves to a fruitful life of an extraordinary God, a blank check that is sitting inside of us? May we write big checks to say, God, I am ready to go and live sent in my world. We're going to celebrate baptism. We're going to celebrate by having community with one another, but there is work to be done. Are you ready to live an extraordinary life? If you are, I want to give you a way to respond today. We put out this short form uh, last year, or or a couple weeks ago. It's gracepointchurch.net slash yes. We've changed some of the answers or some of the things that you can check. And in this time of response, I, I want you to go to it. I want you to search your heart and say, God, how are you calling me to respond? Because again, I'm going to say this again, and it might be crude, but I'm sorry, but we don't want to be a bunch of constipated Christians in here. Like we want to to 
act on the compassion and the kindness and goodness that God puts inside of us. During this time, you're going to have space to go and go to this forum called Yes. And here are the different things that you can do. You can say, hey, I'd like more information on how to join a communitas, a community on mission, because I need help. I need people that are going to be encouraging me to go and live missionally out in the world. Number two, you might say, hey, I, I'm not in a group. Maybe I am in a group. I'd like to know how to lead one of those. I'd like more information on leading. Maybe number three, you say, hey, I'm, not, I'm already in a communitas group, but we need a mission. We need something to be about so we can go and make an impact in the world. Or number four, I would just like more information on how to live sent. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do that. Would you just give me some encouragement and information on that? This time is yours. Get out your phones. Go to this website. Go to the GPC app. Click one of these things and say, God, I want to be about what you're doing. And let me give you this tension. Because often in this time, we, we get up, we leave, we exit, we go to other places, we, we think about lunch, we think about getting our kids. Man, would you rest in this time? Would you give God the space to speak to you? Because God is moving. Are we listening? Are we watching? God is speaking. Let this prayer of, that reminds us of a God, a spirit that is able to do immeasurably more than we can think, ask, or imagine. Let him lead you in this time. Lean into the things of him. Space is yours.